Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio recording that follows was recorded during S.N. Goenka's tour of North America in 2002, known as the Meditation Now Tour. This podcast will be updated monthly, with additional archives from S.N. Goenka's talks and questions and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by S.N. Goenka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati, a nonprofit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance for the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is www.pariyati.org. For more information on Vipassana meditation as taught by S. Goenka, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org. Friends, citizens of this great city of world-renowned institutes of education, We have all assembled here this evening to understand what is Vipassana and how does it help us in our day-to-day life and how it is relevant, relevant not only today, relevant at all times, at all places of the human world. Vipassana is a scientific way to realize the truth about oneself, especially the truth about the misery that one faces from time to time, the real cause of misery and the eradication of this cause of misery so that one can live a peaceful, happy, and harmonious life. A great super-scientist that the world had produced 26 centuries back, he discovered certain realities, the realities which are universal, He discovered so many truths, but ultimately he revealed only a few which are directly relevant to each of us, the misery, the real cause of misery, the eradication of misery and the process of this eradication of misery. Misery is there. How can one deny it? From the birth, one misery or the other starts. One comes in contact with sickness, a misery. One keeps growing. becomes old, 
wrinkles near the eyes weakness in the body the sense organs don't work properly a great misery one comes in contact in front of the death great misery even during the life one keeps on getting associated associated with undesirables undesirable persons undesirable incidents undesirable situations and becomes miserable one gets disassociated with desirables desirable persons desirable incidents desirable situation one becomes miserable one craves for something and works hard to get it and yet cannot get it one becomes miserable all these miseries and the apparent causes of misery is so clear it does not require for someone to get enlightened and discover the truth about misery and the cause of misery with a very scattered mind one can understand these situations are miserable situations one who got fully enlightened developed the wisdom at the experiential level went to the deeper truth deeper truth and at a very subtle level very deep level he says the combination of mind and matter one aggregate of the matter and four aggregates of the mind they combine together at a very deep level and with this combination a false identification starts i mind i mind tremendous amount of attachment starts and there the misery starts to understand this merely at the intellectual level does not help this is not the real wisdom wisdoms are of three stages one wisdom is that one gets by reading books by listening to such discourses it is good one gets wisdom just first step of wisdom second step of wisdom human being is a rational being he is not supposed to accept anything in a blind faith so he tries to rationalize whatever is said whatever i have read is it pragmatic is it logical if so then only one accepts it again it is intellectual understanding of the truth but the real benefit one gets by experiencing the truth unless you experience the truth you can't realize the 
totality of the truths. Partial truths is always distorted truth, totality of the truths. And for that, one has to go to the depth of the mind, depth of this physical structure, the combination of the two. And for that, a part of the mind is to be trained to become very sharp, very sensitive. And the technique starts with that. Whenever you decide that you want to learn, learn this technique which is nothing but a way of life. No religion involved, no dogma, no blind faith. Truth and truth that you experience. You experience and you find it beneficial to you and beneficial to others, everyone. Then only you accept it and then only you live that life. So you have to decide 10 days, spare 10 days of your life to learn this technique, to go to the depth of the mind and see how misery starts and see how misery can be eradicated at the root level. You have decided to come to a course of 10 days, which is always held in a very congenial atmosphere with least disturbance and a proper guide to guide you and you start working. How you start working? You have to work out to experience the truth, no imagination, the truth at the experiential level pertaining to this corporeal structure, the body, pertaining to the mental structure, the combination of the two, and something which is beyond mind and matter. But you start with mind and matter. Truth about yourself. You are asked to sit down, sit down comfortably in any posture that suits you, any posture that keeps you comfortable for longer periods at a stretch is a good posture. Not necessary to sit in a lotus posture or half lotus posture. If someone can sit conveniently, go ahead, nothing wrong. Otherwise, any posture that keeps you comfortable for longer periods at a stretch is a good posture for you. Keep your back and your neck straight. This will make your mind more attentive. Keep your eyes gently closed, mouth gently closed. There is no physical action now, no vocal action. And see what reality has started manifesting itself. Reality. Reality pertaining to your mind, your matter, nothing else. What reality? The first reality that you will experience is the reality of the breath. Coming in, going out, coming in, going out. This is the truth. You're not imagining it. You're feeling it. The breath coming in, the breath going out. Start with this. Just keep on observing. That means keep on feeling the breath as it is. Not as you would like it to be, as it is. If it is deep, it is deep. If it is shallow, it is shallow. Passing through left nostril, left nostril. Right nostril, right nostril. 
Don't try to interfere with the natural flow of the breath. Don't make it a breathing exercise. Don't try to control the breath. That is a different technique altogether. We call it pranayama. It has its own benefit for a good health of the body. Nothing wrong. But this is totally different. This is not an exercise of the breath. It is an exercise to develop the faculty of awareness, awareness of the truth, truth pertaining to your mind, matter, phenomenon, as it is, as it is. So the breath, as it is, mere observation, no reaction, no imagination allowed, breath as breath. No visualization allowed. Otherwise your mind will get involved in these imaginations, visualizations. No verbalization allowed. Your mind will get involved in verbalization. No auto-suggestion or outer-suggestion. No imposition of this belief or that belief, this philosophical dogma or that philosophical dogma. Nothing doing. Breath as breath, nothing else. Bare breath. Mere bread. Like you are sitting at the bank of the river and you see the flow of the river. You do nothing for the flow of the river. There is a natural flow of the river. You are just observing it. Similarly, you keep your mind at the entrance of the nostrils and just keep on observing the natural flow of the bread. Keep on feeling the natural flow of the bread the breath coming in, the breath going out. You have to do nothing. So easy. And yet, whenever you will decide to take a 10-day course of this scientific way of understanding yourself, you will find it very difficult. Very difficult. You will observe hardly a couple of breaths and the mind is gone somewhere. And suddenly you realize what I am doing. I was here to observe my breath. What happened? All right, start again. You start again. A few seconds and the mind again wanders away. This monkey mind doesn't want to stay. Keeps on running. Keeps on running. In many cases we find on the first day a new student gets frustrated, irritated, starts generating negativity. Negativity towards oneself. Negativity towards one's own mind. What sort of mind I am carrying? Such a simple thing. Just observe. Do nothing. Just keep on feeling. The truth is there. And it can't do even this simple work. What kind of mind? And the guide will say, No. Don't generate negativity. You come here to get rid of all the negativities. Every time you generate negativity, you are the first victim of negativity. You become miserable. Don't generate negativity. Just accept the truth. You were observing the breath, observing the breath, mind wandered away. And you realize mind has wandered away. Just accept the fact, at this moment, my mind has wandered away. Well, the breath is still there. Start again, I start again. You start again, again the mind wanders away. Again you accept Mind has wandered away. Again start. Like this patiently, patiently, persistently, 
you keep on working, keep on working continuously. One very important requirement of this technique is you have to work continuously, continuously, continuously. Continuity of practice is the secret of success so far as this technique is concerned. Mind wanders, you bring it back, mind wanders, you bring it back, but continuously, continuously keep trying, keep trying. You will notice second day, the mind has calmed down a little. Third day, it has become more calm, more tranquil. Not fully calm, but much better compared to the first day. And working for these three days, three days continuously, continuously, you will notice, because you are working on a small area, you require a one-pointed concentration. If the mind remains scattered, you can't make a deep operation of your mind, you can't go to the depth of the mind, the root of the mind. So a small point, you have to work just on a small point below the nostrils, above the upper lip, keep your attention here, and just keep on observing the truth, nothing but truth, the breath, the breath, the breath. One notices, the breath becomes subtler and subtler. The breath becomes finer and finer. As the mind gets concentrated, breath becomes finer and finer. Breath becomes shorter and shorter. Like a thin thread it comes out and immediately takes a U-turn. Again, goes in, comes out, goes in. It has become so subtle, so fine. And the mind keeps on feeling it feeling it, the mind also becomes subtler and subtler, sharper and sharper, more and more sensitive. By the end of three days, one starts realizing further realities, subtler realities pertaining to this mind-matter phenomenon. Breath was also a mind-matter phenomenon. At the apparent level, it looks that the breath it's a function of the body, function of the lungs, and that is why we breathe in, breathe out, correct, but not fully correct. It has something to do with the mind also. It is strongly related to mind, and very strongly related to the mental impurities. You won't have to accept it because the teacher says so, or the tradition says so, you start experiencing it. You are observing the breath, observing the breath. Suddenly the mind wanders away. A memory of the past, some aspiration of the future, fear of the future. You start rolling in that. And suddenly your mind re starts reacting. Reacting maybe with fear, maybe with negativity, anger, anything. Any defilement arises in the mind and you will notice your breath, which had become so fine, so subtle, suddenly loses its normality, no more normal. It becomes slightly hard, slightly fast. When that particular defilement has gone away, again the breath becomes normal, very subtle, very fine. So it is very clear Breath is connected with the mind and not only mind but all the mental impurities. 
you have to now discover the reality of this mind-matter phenomenon at the deeper level. You are working on a small area, mind has become very sensitive, so you start feeling certain further realities. The entire physical structure, constantly there is some biochemical reaction going on throughout the body, some electromagnetic reaction going on throughout the body, which keeps on manifesting itself as this sensation or that sensation. On this part of the body also, constantly there is some sensation or the other. Now with the working for three days, mind has become very sensitive, it starts experiencing sensations. Any kind of sensation, you can't choose. It's a choiceless observation. You don't make an effort to create a sensation. Effortless observation, choiceless observation. Let the nature play its own role. Let the Dhamma, that means nature, play its own role. You just observe the reality as it is manifesting itself. Maybe you feel heat, you maybe feel perspiration, maybe throbbing, maybe pulsing, maybe vibrating, maybe tingling, anything. So many things keep coming, passing away, coming, passing away. You are feeling that from the fourth day onwards. Now your mind is very sensitive. It can feel sensations everywhere in the body. So you start from the top of the head, pass through every part of the body, down to the tips of the toes, from the top of the head to the tips of the toes, every part of the body. There is some sensation or the other. Sensations were there all the time. They are there all the time. Mind was not so sensitive, not so sharp to feel. When there is very solidified, intensified, unpleasant, gross sensation like pain, pressure, heaviness, one feels it easily. But there are so many different kinds of sensations. When you go deeper, 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 a stage comes where you feel only very subtle oscillation. Very subtle oscillation going on throughout the body. You retain the mind to become so sensitive, so sensitive to feel the reality of these sensations. Why? Because you are going to the root of the mind. The root of the mind is constantly in contact with body sensations and it constantly keeps on reacting to these body sensations. One feels an unpleasant sensation. The habit pattern of the root of the mind is to react, react with aversion, hatred, a pleasant sensation. The habit is to react with craving, clinging. And constantly, day and night, these sensations are there throughout the body. You are asleep or awakened, sitting or standing, lying or walking, eating or drinking, every position, every posture. One keeps on feeling sensations at the depth of the mind. And one keeps on reacting to these sensations, craving, aversion, craving, aversion. And when you go to the depth of the reality, you find there is so much of peace there. And the moment you generate any reaction, craving or aversion, you lose the peace of the mind. You lose the harmony of the mind. The mind gets disturbed. You lose the harmony, you lose the happiness, you lose the balance of your mind. You are miserable. 
One has to reach that stage to experience all that. For that, one is making the mind so sharp so that one can feel all kinds of sensations on the body. Initially, when you start working on the fourth day, that is the first day of Vipassana, first three days are preparation for Vipassana to train the mind to become very sharp and very sensitive. First day, normally people get very solidified, intensified, gross sensations like pain, pressure, etc. At times, someone may not feel a sensation on certain part of the body. Sensations are there. The mind is still not able to feel. You keep on working patiently, persistently, keep moving from head to feet, from feet to head, from head to feet, to feet to head. You start feeling sensations out of here. All those gross sensations, solidified sensations, in a few days' time you find they get divided, dissected, disintegrated, dissolved, dissolved. No solidity left, no imagination. This is the truth that each meditator has to realize. The entire body is just mass of vibrations, vibrations. This was a great discovery by this super scientist 26 centuries back. Without the help of any modern scientific apparatus, without the help of any modern instrument, by insight, by experience, experiencing from the gross to the subtle, to the subtle, to the subtlest, he realized that the entire body is made up of very tiny little particles, very tiny little particles which we call today atoms, and he gave the name Kalapa, the tiniest particle of the material world, Kalapa. And that also not solid. He says mere vibration, mere vibration, arising, passing, arising, passing. This is the nature of the Kalapa. And then the entire universe, he takes his mind outside and feels the entire universe, mere arising, passing, arising, passing, sabbo, loko, pakam, pito, entire universe, mere vibration, mere vibration. Our today's scientists, just a century back, they started understanding this truth, that in the entire material world there is no solidity. Mere wavelets, mere wavelets. And here a super scientist with his experience realizes mere vibration, mere vibration, nothing but vibration. And then the mind, also mere vibration, mere vibration. And all the mental contents, mere vibration, mere vibration. Initially, they also come in a very solidified, intensified way of manifesting themselves. Like say, Anger has come, or passion has come, or fear has come, very intensified. You keep on observing, observing, it gets divided, dissected, disintegrated, dissolved, mere vibration, mere vibration. When one reaches the stage where one experiences the entire mind-matter phenomenon, nothing but vibration, vibration, vibration of this wavelength or that wavelength, this velocity or that velocity, then one starts realizing further realities as to how the mind keeps on influencing the body and how the body keeps on influencing the mind and how because of this inter interaction one does not know what is happening deep inside because of this interaction one starts generating one defilement or the other 
and this defilement keeps on multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. One does not know. One just works at the surface level of the mind. Deep inside what is happening is unknown. And that is what you call avidya, ignorance. One does not know what is happening deep inside. And these defilements, they multiply, 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 and they overpower you. Once you are overpowered by these defilements, then you perform such unwholesome actions, vocal, physical, which ordinarily you would not have done, but you have performed that action, later on you realize, oh, I should not have said like this. I should not have worked like this. No use of this repenting. Similar situation again, you react in the same way and become miserable. That one starts realizing at the experiential level, going deeper, deeper, deeper. Mind comes to the eye sense door, mere vibration, mere vibration. Ear sense door, mere vibration, mere vibration. Nose sense door, mere vibration. Tongue sense door, mere vibration. Body sense door, mere vibration. Mind sense door, mere vibration. These are the only six sense doors because of which the world is world for us. Otherwise, there is no existence of world for us. One who is deaf, deaf from birth, for this person there is no world of sound. He can't understand what is sound. A man blind, blind from birth, he can't understand what is light, what is color. can't understand. There is no such world for him. So the world is world only when it comes in contact with these six sense doors. A shape, a form, a color, a light comes in contact with the eye sense door. A sound comes in contact with the ear sense door. Smell comes in contact with the nose sense door. A taste comes in contact with the tongue sense door. Something tangible comes in contact with the body sense door. A thought or an emotion comes in contact with the mind sense door. These six sense doors, how they are working. One starts experiencing the interaction of these connected with the mind. Ear sense door. Say your attention goes to ear sense door. Vibration. Vibration. A sound has come from outside. This is also vibration. Vibration. Two types of vibration. Ear sense door. Vibrating. Sound. Vibrating. Vibrating. They come in contact. Another vibration starts. You strike a gong. You strike a gong at a certain, certain point. It starts vibrating. The whole gong starts vibrating. The sound has come in contact with the ear. But you find the whole body, there's a particular type of sensations, very subtle sensations throughout the body. Now what happens? One notices, as a scientist, one is experimenting the truth, what is happening, what is this mind matter phenomenon. Immediately, as this sense object comes in contact with the sense door, one part of the mind raises its head, look, something is happening. Something has happened at the ear sense door. Its job is to cognize something is happening. That's all. And as soon as that something is happening, there is a neutral vibration throughout the body. And the second part of the mind raises its head. What has happened? What was it? A sound. What sound? With all the memory of the past, with all the Valuation that he has been giving in the past, recognizing what it was. So what it is, sound, words, 
What words? Oh, these are words of abuse. These are words of insult. Or words, oh, these are words of praise. It is recognized and also given valuation. Words of abuse, very bad. Words of praise, wonderful, very good. The moment this is done, one notices. A good meditator, it takes time. A good meditator starts realizing immediately this flow of vibration changes. There's a chemical change in the whole body. Words of abuse, very unpleasant. And you find this neutral flow of vibration changes into very unpleasant, very unpleasant vibrations throughout the body. Very unpleasant. Praise, ah, wonderful. And this neutral vibration changes to very pleasant vibration. A flow of very pleasant vibration. Third part of the mind, its job is to feel pleasant vibration, unpleasant vibration. It just feels. And then the fourth part of the mind starts working. Its job is to react. Unpleasant vibration. I don't like it. I don't like it. Aversion, hatred, aversion, hatred. Pleasant vibration. Ah, very good. I like it. I like it. Craving, clinging, craving, clinging. At the apparent level it looks that I am reacting to these words. Somebody is abusing me. I don't like abuse, so I am reacting with aversion. Somebody is praising me. I like to praise, so I am reacting with craving, clinging. Buddha says, no, this is not the truth. It appears to be so. It seems to be so. But there is a missing link that is very important for you to understand and to realize. You are reacting to the sensation, which was caused by this outside object. But the sensation, after you feel this body sensation, then only you start reacting with craving or with aversion. Craving or aversion. When we go to the history of those days and go to all the scriptures of different traditions of India of those days, we find in quite a few traditions, the teachers were teaching, don't react to this outside object with craving or aversion. Otherwise, you will get entangled. The more you generate craving, the more you generate aversion, you generate misery for yourself. So remain equanimous. Don't, don't generate craving or aversion. That teaching was there. Buddha says, no, you are not reacting to the outside object. You are reacting to the sensation created by the outside object, but sensation. So one has to go to the depth where one feels the sensation. Otherwise, you are working only surface level of the mind. Your intellect says that I am reacting to the sound, the words. I am reacting to the shape, the form. I am reacting to the smell. I am reacting to this taste. I am reacting to this tangible uh, touch. I am reacting to this thought that has come. No. With that, a sensation starts. And valuation is given as good, pleasant sensation, bad, unpleasant sensation. Then only, although all this happens so quickly, one has to reach the stage where one can divide and understand how it is working. But one starts understanding that I am reacting to the sensations. And every time one reacts, one loses the peace of the mind, one loses the harmony of the mind, one loses the balance of the mind. That is happening all the time at the depth, at the root level. And one keeps on playing with different kinds of techniques to calm down the mind at the surface, purify the mind at the surface. Good compared to those who do nothing to calm down the mind, compared to those who do nothing to purify the mind, better 
much better. You are now doing something at the surface level. You are calming down your mind. You are making your mind purer, purer, free from craving, free from aversion, free from all other kinds of negativities, impurities, but only at the surface level or slightly deeper level. Because you have not been, you have not reached the stage where these impurities arise. They arise when they feel a sensation on the body. The mind reacts when it feels a sensation on the body, pleasant or unpleasant. So, one has to train the mind to become so sharp, so subtle, and start feeling sensations everywhere, throughout the body. One part of it, you must train the mind to feel sensation. And the second part of Vipassana, you feel sensation, then you start understanding what is the nature of these sensations. A very unpleasant sensation has arisen, gross, solidified. All right, it has arisen. It stays for some time, but sooner or later it passes away. It's not eternal. And when you come across very subtle, fine vibrations, same nature, rising, passing, rising, passing, now with great rapidity, wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. So the characteristic remains the same. Every sensation has the same characteristic of arising, passing, arising, passing. Not eternal. Not eternal. One realizes the entire physical structure, the entire mental structure, constantly in a flux, constantly in a flow, wavelets, wavelets, wavelets. Then one starts understanding, not by discourses, not by reading scriptures, not by the teaching of the teacher, by experience. Look what I am doing. What is the sense in reacting to something which is so ephemeral, changing constantly? Even though very unpleasant, it is not eternal. What is the sense to react? Even pleasant, not eternal. This is how the habit pattern starts changing. The behavior pattern of the mind at the root level starts changing, starts changing. And more and more, the mind comes out of this bad habit of reaction, reaction. More and more it is equanimous, develops equanimity, equipoise of the mind. One finds the mind becomes purer and purer. Pure because of the eradication of these impurities. And a pure mind, again by law of nature, it has a quality. And the quality is peace, harmony. So much of peace, so much of harmony. And the moment a defilement arises, the peace is gone, the harmony is gone. Mind gets disturbed. So one realizes the difference between the two. A peaceful mind. How it can be a peaceful mind when there is no defilement in the mind? Then only it is peaceful. And it loses the peace when defilement arises. So uh, practicing, 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 the behavior pattern starts changing. And when the mind is pure and peaceful, by nature, by nature it starts generating love, pure love, love for all beings, compassion, love, compassion, goodwill, and tolerance, and tolerance. This becomes the nature of this pure mind. And when I started helping oneself, when I started helping others also, one realizes by experience, one realizes that whenever I generate any negativity in the mind, anger, hatred, ill will, animosity, any negativity, I am the first victim. Look, I become so miserable. The moment I generate anger, a good vipassi will understand there is a burning sensation throughout the body. Palpitation increases, tension gets built up. 
what I'm doing? I'm harming myself. I'm harming myself. Nobody wants to harm oneself. And when you start harming yourself, you never keep this misery limited to yourself. You keep on throwing this misery on others. You generate anger. You're miserable. Whole atmosphere around you gets permeated with misery, 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 tension. Anybody comes in contact with you at that time, starts feeling nothing but misery. In the same way, if the mind is peaceful, quiet, when the mind is pure, full of love, compassion, one notices the whole atmosphere around, gets permeated with these vibrations of love, compassion, peace, harmony. Anybody who comes in contact at that time starts feeling so much of peace, so much of harmony. It is a way of life, how to live, how to live peacefully and harmoniously, understanding the law of nature. Or one can say the law of the God Almighty. Use whatever words you want to use. But it is universal, applicable to everyone. Whether one is black or white or brown or yellow, makes no difference. Male or female, makes no difference. One belongs to this tradition or that tradition, has this belief or that belief, of this religion or that religion, of this country or that country, makes no difference. Human being is human being. Human mind is human mind. The moment you defile your mind, you become miserable, bound to become miserable. The moment you purify your mind, you start feeling peace, real peace. Not the peace at the surface and boiling misery at the depth. No. Entire mental structure full of peace, full of harmony, full of peace, full of harmony. Law of nature is such. Law of nature wants you to keep the mind pure. If you keep your mind pure, you get reward here and now. You break this law. You break this law by breaking the purity of the mind. You get punishment here and now. One lives in a state. There are laws of the government. You break the law. You are punished. But it may take time for the punishment. You keep on moving appeals from one court to the other, one court to the other. It may take years together. But the law of nature is such you break the law, you are punished then and there. You break the purity of the mind, generate any defilement, you are miserable then and there. You again start living the law of nature, purity of the mind. You are rewarded. So much of peace, so much of harmony. Then and there, it becomes so clear. And that is how people start changing their behavior pattern, starts living a better life. Unless there is peace in the mind of the individual and we keep on expecting world peace world peace in the whole human society it is the ideal thing to have peace in the world certainly but unless there is peace in the mind of the individual how can there be peace in the human society after all society is made of individuals every individual starting from the top to the bottom everyone agitated agitated with this deep agitation inside and we expect peace how it is possible and the law, one starts realizing this truth. Look, I'm harming myself. Nobody wants to harm. Then one starts living a spiritual life, a real spiritual life. What is a spiritual life? Spiritual life is to live a life of morality. And what is morality? Don't perform any action, vocal or physical, which will harm others, which will hurt others, which will disturb the peace and harmony of others. Don't perform such actions. This is morality. 
and for that you must have a disciplined mind so train your mind train your mind to remain all the time alert and you must have a pure mind full of love compassion goodwill tolerance these are the qualities of pure mind and this morality discipline and pure mind is the teaching of every religion there is no religion in the world which does not teach morality discipline of the mind purity of the mind love compassion goodwill every religion teaches it this is the quintessence common quintessence of all the religions of the world inner essence but then there is a outer shell which differs from one religion to the other outer shell and what is this outer shell this right this ritual this ceremony this celebration this belief this dogma this cult all differ let people be happy with their own rites rituals ceremonies belief doesn't matter but give all importance to this inner essence live a moral life live a moral life with disciplined mind full of love compassion goodwill then there is no trouble in the world the trouble starts because all importance is given to this outer shell a senseless outer shell the inner essence is lost like the nectar has leaked out and you are working with the empty shell what gain and one keeps on saying this is my religion this is my religion this rite this ritual this ceremony this belief this dogma this is my religion and the madness comes when you get attached to this my religion and this is my religion the outer shell my religion everyone must accept this if one does not accept he'll go to hell if one accepts he'll go to heaven and if one does not accept out of compassion i say you accept it otherwise i'll kill you this is how terrorism starts this is how extremism starts in human actions because you've forgotten the inner essence if every religion the teaching of inner essence is made popular and this inner essence is practiced then let there be outer shell different types of outer shell what makes the difference let people be happy with that but don't miss the inner essence but by this technique one starts realizing the inner essence whenever i perform any unwholesome action which will harm others which will hurt others which will disturb the peace and harmony of others it becomes so clear not by discourses not by sermons by experience every time i perform any unwholesome action vocal or physical i first harm myself i first harm myself and then only harm others this was again a great discovery of this great scientist of the world human world you can't perform any unwholesome action without generating some defilement or the other in your mind you kill how can you kill without generating anger hatred ill will animosity and the moment you generated these negativities burning sensation you started suffering misery before you are killing you are miserable you started harming yourself you steal something which does not belong to you you can't steal unless you generate greed deep greed and whenever you generate deep greed you know with your sensations you lost you lost the peace of your mind you lost the harmony of your mind you are a miserable person sexual misconduct rape adultery can't conduct that can't conduct this kind of unwholesome action unless you generate deep passion lust and the moment you generate passion lust you are a miserable person
you lost the peace, you lost the harmony of your mind, what's happening? I'm harming myself. Similarly, any vocal action, you try to deceive others by speaking lies. You speak harsh words, any unwholesome action of the words also, vocal also, same thing, you have to generate some impurity or the other. It becomes clearer and clearer. How can one harm oneself? Nobody wants to harm oneself. Everybody wants to live a peaceful life, happy life, harmonious life, but one does not know what is happening deep inside. That reality, which was discovered by this great scientist, he kept on distributing to others. Look, look inside what is happening. What is happening in you? How you are harming yourself because of ignorance, without knowing what I am doing deep inside, and how I am suffering, I am generating misery for myself, misery for myself, what I am doing. And then the habit pattern starts changing, changing. A good way of life, harmonious way of life. Then all these differences, I am a Hindu or I am a Muslim or I am a Jewish or I am a Christian or I am this or that. All that passes away. One may keep on calling oneself by whatever, whatever name one likes. This is one platform where we have seen people of different religions, they sit together, meditate and they have got so brotherly feeling. There is no religion in the world today whose followers are not attending 10-day Vipassana courses. No religion. And in many cases, their leaders are attending. Up till now, more than 2,000 Christian priests and nuns have participated in 10-day courses. And every year, they keep coming. Many of them keep coming. Similarly, Hindu sannyasis, Buddhist monks, Jain munis from every religion, their leaders are coming because they feel the same in our religion also. I remember the three first in my course, three missionaries who came first. At the end of the course, one very elderly nun, mother superior, she tells me, Goenka, you are teaching Christianity in the name of Buddha. I am teaching spirituality, which is the same. I am teaching the essence, which is the same for every religion. Everyone feels, this is my religion. This is my religion. This is my religion. And this is how the world can come together. All this strives and struggles and bloodsheds will automatically go away if more and more people come to this and will come to this. It is now just a beginning. Only last 30, 35 years it has come out. It was lost. It was lost in the whole country, whole world. The country of origin lost it. It went to different countries. There also it got lost. Only one country maintained it in its pristine purity, Myanmar or Burma. Very few people there also, from teacher to pupil, from teacher to pupil, very few. The rest of them were involved, as in other cases. But only few they maintained in its pristine purity. That is why you are getting now in its pristine purity. People start understanding this is universal, non-sectarian, this is scientific, this is rational, pragmatic, and result-oriented gives the result here and now. Not that after death you will get something. After death also you get something good. But what I am getting now is more important for me. And you get here and now. That is why more and more people are coming. It is good that you have spared one hour of your life, very valuable one hour, to understand what this technique is and how it works. Now I would recommend you, I will request you, spare 10 days of your life to experience it. Just come to give a trial. I went in the same way. I come from a very staunch, conservative Hindu family. And this was, oh, this is Buddhism. This is Buddhism. If I become Buddhist, what will happen? I'll go to hell. No, 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 I won't go, I won't go. Just hesitating, hesitating, a situation arose. 
where I said, all right, let me give it a trial for 10 days. I gave it a trial and I found it is so pure. It is for everyone. What Buddhism? It is not Buddhism. Buddha never taught Buddhism. He never made a single person a Buddhist. He taught Dhamma. Dhamma means a way of life. And anybody who follows his teaching was called Dhammiko, follower of Dhamma, way of life, how to live peacefully and harmoniously. Anybody and everybody can practice and anybody and everybody will get the same result. Spare 10 days of your life. To experience real peace, real harmony, real good way of life, positive way of life, may all of you enjoy real peace, real harmony, real happiness, real happiness. Yes. The question has come, will I be able to perform miracles if I learn your meditation? It is not my meditation. It is a meditation for all humanity. Don't look for miracles. Miracles too come. What we call miracles is when we don't understand a particular law of nature, then we say this is miracle. But what more bigger miracle it will be when a miserable person comes out of misery, when you stop generating defilement and you, you make your mind pure and purer, full of love and compassion, that is the biggest miracle and that miracle should be attained by each, each and every one. I still do not understand how, by observing sensations on the body, the mind becomes purer. What is the scientific basis of this? Because the mind is constantly in contact with the body sensations. And the impurity is nothing but reacting with craving, with aversion, with ego, with fear, with passion. All kinds of these defilements that you generate makes the mind impure. And that happens not because of the outside object. Apparently, yes, because of outside object. But when the outside object comes in contact, there is a sensation in the body. And that is why the technique is to feel the sensation on the body and don't react. Feel the sensation on the body, don't react then it becomes purer and purer because the habit pattern of reaction goes away. You said that the Buddha discovered many truths. Why do you only talk of morality and awareness of breath and sensation? Yes, it is true. He was a great scientist. When we go through his uh, words, it's very amazing. At one place he says, he was walking through a jungle, quite a number of his followers there, in the evening, they sat down under a tree, and then some discussion started. He took a few dry leaves in his hand and said, the number of leaves in my hand, is this number more? Or the number of leaves on all the trees in the forest? Well, sir, no comparison in your hand will be just a few leaves. The leaves in the jungle are so many, but look, my experience of the truth of the world is so much, but I don't 
I don't talk things which are irrelevant. Only what the truth which is relevant to you. You are miserable for you to understand the depth of the misery. For you to understand the cause of the depth of the misery. For you to understand how to eradicate that cause and come out of misery. This is relevant and I am only teaching this. And that's true. We keep on talking then it becomes a philosophical game. My belief is this and your belief is this. Leave all that aside. Whatever belief you have. The truth is that I am miserable because my mind is reacting with defilements. And there is a way to come out of that. If dharma is scientific, why are dharma teachers secretive about advanced stages? Again the same thing. How it will help? One who can understand something at a certain level, that explanation is given, helpful. Because one gets inspiration and works. When one reaches that stage, then further stages are explained. Merely intellectual game is not the job of a teacher. He has to explain things which one can practice and experience. And later on they are deeper. Like a, as Buddha said, the Dhamma is like a deep ocean. As you go further from the beach, as you go further, deeper, 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 deeper. But starting from the deep, from the, from the beach, the steps that you take are not that deep. And you keep on talking about that deep is waste of time. And you make the people confused. So only that step that you are taking, that much explanation is given. Theory and practice should go together. Theory and practice should go together. Otherwise, merely theory, mere theory, no practice will make a person confused. And one person may not be working properly. So work properly with whatever theory is given to you. Why is there a conflict practicing Vipassana and Reiki? Well, we are not against Reiki. There are many ways which help people to come out of their health problems. Reiki is one amongst them. How can we object to it? But understand, Vipassana is to observe your own natural vibrations throughout the body. What sort of vibration you feel? When you generate anger, when you generate passion, when you generate ego, what is happening in the body? Your own natural vibration. You are training yourself to feel the natural vibrations. And here is something which gives the input of outside vibration, which are not your vibrations, something coming from outside. And not in all the cases, in many cases we have seen, there's a conflict. And that conflict makes you miserable, more harmful. And that is why those who are interested in Reiki, let them carry on. We are not against that. We don't denounce it. But don't mix up Vipassana with Reiki. Natural vibration, work with natural vibration as it is. Outside vibration, you work it for your health. It is all right. But don't mix the two. Do you know something about the, ex about the existence that will help today's scientists in their material research? Certainly, we are thankful to today's scientists. They have discovered so many truths which have been helping people. But there are more realities which one has to experience. Like the scientists have found out that the entire world is made of atoms, atoms, and that is also vibration, vibration. And I was told that in a bubble cham chamber, a scientific instrument, they discovered every bubble, every atom arises and passes, arises and passes, the wavelets, 22 zeros after one. But by experience, one finds this great experience, this scientist, he found, by the time I snap my finger, or I blink, by the time, trillions of time, 
this atom arises, passes, arises, passes. What's the difference? The difference is you are experiencing it and that you are accepting because you have confidence in your scientific instruments. You are experiencing and then you are also experiencing that with this state of mind, how impurity arises when you, when you react, what happens? When you don't react, what happens? So that is more important. So let there be scientific researches at the material level, nothing wrong in that, but at the same time, I would, I would say that the modern scientists should also practice this so that both inside at the experiential level and outside at the level of the, your laboratory, both must be together so that you get better results. I see people who are working for peace get caught up in one side of a conflict. Isn't it important to see both sides of a problem? Certainly, that will start feeling only when your mind is pure. When your mind is impure, defiled, then you start taking sides. This is good, that is bad, because your mind is inclined towards one belief or the other belief. All that will go away. And that is how we find in Vipassana courses, there are people from different, from different religions, they sit together. People of diverse uh, situations, very rich billionaires come to the course and a pauper is there. They sit together, meditate together. In India, there is this caste system, a very high caste person and an untouchable sit together, meditate together. No difference between the two. A very highly educated person and very illiterate person, they sit together, meditate, no difference. A person of this religion or that religion, they sit together and meditate. There is no difference, no difficulty. There is no difficulty in Jews and Muslims participating together. In Hindus or Muslims participating together, no difficulty. And this is an example how Vipassana helps to unite all the different nationalities, all the different religions of the world. Religion is religion when, only when it unites. Otherwise, religion is no religion when it divides. And Vipassana helps every religion to unite people. Could you tell us about humor in life? Do you enjoy humor with your wife? Certainly. If the mind is pure, you must enjoy. What's wrong in enjoying? If the mind is agitated, then there's always conflict between the wife and the husband. Always some conflict or the other, difference of opinion. Now all that goes away. Even this difference of opinion, you smile. Oh, yeah, this is your view and this is my view. So, so what? We live with that. But when conflict arises, when you get attached to your view, and one gets to my view, my view, your view, my view is, is better, your view is wrong, and then the trouble starts. So let there be humor. Humor with a pure mind. Can you please explain how passion is an impurity and how newlyweds can address this issue? while enjoying their new lives together. <laughs> Nothing wrong in passion. In nature's law, for bio-reproduction, passion is there. But don't become a slave of the passion. Otherwise, you keep running from A to B to C to Z, you become a sex maniac. <laughs> what sort of passion? One, one person with the spouse living together, high body relations, nothing wrong. But this technique helps you. When passion arises, both of, both of them start observing the sensation, observing the passion passes away, very good. If it doesn't pass away, and there's a body relation, nothing wrong. You're not broken the shila. You're not broken your, your vows that you've taken. So this helps in all the cases. One starts living a better life, peaceful life. Are there shorter courses? 
This is the shortest course, ten days. Hundred years back, this tradition wanted people to come to take a course of one month, not less than that. In this fast-running life, how can one spare ten, one month? I would, I would have also missed it. So they reduced, 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 brought it to ten. Less than that, just a wasting of time. It doesn't work. But of course, people like to have bargaining. Why ten days? Why not less? Give me a short course. Give me a short course. I was born in a business family. Lived half of my life as a businessman, so I know business people how they keep on bargaining. So when I went to my teacher, I started bargaining. Sir, ten days very difficult. I am such a busy person. For me, ten days to spare. All my responsibilities, multifarious responsibilities, family responsibility, business responsibility, social responsibility. No, sir. But I want to learn your technique. So teach me. I am very intelligent, and that's why I am successful in life. I will practice at home. Just teach me. And he just laughed. Not possible, my boy. So all right, one day, teach me one day. I'll be with you one day. Not possible. Not possible. And then after taking the course, I understood really not possible. It takes three days practice, continuous, continuous to sharpen the mind, to make it razor sharp, to make a deep operation of the mind to go to the depth. And then it takes so many days to feel different kinds of sensations, and so many days to train the mind to remain equanimous with every sensation. It cannot happen unless you work continuously, continuously. So spare ten days. Don't argue. Don't bargain. You won't. We'll get nothing less than ten days. Are you familiar with Shri Shri Ravi Shankar and his Sudarshan Kriya breathing technique? If so, what is your opinion of him? Shri Shri Ravi Shankar. He has become now Shri Shri Ravi Shankar. He came to me as a young boy, taking his degree from the university, and at that time he was Ravi Ratnam. That's all. No Shri Shri. Ravi Ratnam, and not these long ears and long mustaches and long beards and this gurudam was not there. He took a ten-day course, two ten-day courses, and realized this is wonderful, wonderful way to make money, and started teaching. Going to take ten days. Look, I can teach. Just come for weekends, come for a few hours with me, and I will teach you. Harming people. Some of them will feel, well, I have tried, I have tried. It doesn't give any result, and they get frustrated. They will ne- never come to DLV Pashina. Someone may feel some some peace. Ah, ah, now I know what Vipassana is. Wonderful. I know this person also will never come for a ten-day course to go to the depth of the mind. Out of greed to make money, just to make money, make money. And the tradition says never make dhamma, never make the teaching of spirituality a business. Dhamme na na vanekachare. These are the words of the enlightened person. Never make it business. If you make it commercial, then it is no more dhamma. You are harming people out of your greed. You just make money. I am not here to condemn. He is like my child who has taken course from me. Not that, but of course I would I would like to say be careful. Don't get attracted by saying that I teach you. Just giving few days or few hours. This won't help. What is the right way of being ambitious? Yes, nothing wrong in ambition, 
But ambition should not make you mad when you get attached to it. I must get it. And when you don't get it, you become miserable. Detached way, you work hard to get fulfill your ambition. You work hard. If you are not successful, you smile. I worked. I didn't get. So what? I am happy. Again, try. You are not successful. Still happy. You remain happy in every situation. You are successful. You are not successful. Ups and downs are bound to come in the life. Vicissitudes are bound to come in the life. And you are happy in every situation. This is what Vipassana teaches you. What can I do if a mosquito bites me while meditating? <laughs> I smilingly say, you have to give donation. So give donation of your blood to this mosquito. No, no, you can't bear that. Then just drive it away. Don't kill. Drive it away. Drive it away. Use repellent so that mosquito does not come and bite you. Don't kill. By killing, you are again generating aversion in your mind and you are harming yourself. Any more questions? Right. So after this, I am liberated. Okay. <laughs> okay. What is transcendental meditation? Every meditation has got some benefit or the other. We are not here to condemn. And the teacher of transcendental meditation is a very close friend of mine. He started his work around the world from my house. From there he started. So we are good friends. But he also knows and I also know that it helps because it starts with one kind of verbalization. It helps to calm down the mind, to purify the mind. Purified at a deeper level also, but does not reach the depth of the mind. So, those who are getting benefit from this transcendental meditation, nothing wrong in that. But try and see how can you go to the depth of the mind without condemning any technique. Institutes like MIT exist because of imaginative mind. Vipassana may take away all creativity. Oh, no, 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 no. You will become more creative, more creative. When you are practicing Vipassana, at that time if imagination comes, then you are carried away with this imagination. You are away from the truth. And you are exploring your own truth. Know thyself. All the sages and seers have said, know thyself. Know thyself at the experiential level. And this is what you are doing. When you work, of course, imagination is needed. A good artist will use imagination, a writer will use imagination, but a good Vipassana meditator will become a better artist, a better poet, a better uh, literature, literary man, and better scientist, because mind is so calm, so pure, whatever one thinks will be a proper thing not to harm others. It, he won't harm anybody. Have you tried other forms of meditation? Yes, I have been through a few. If not... How do you know this is best? I have been through a few. And not that I didn't get any benefit from them. I got benefit. When I went to this, I found that no meditation takes you to the depth of the mind. Depth of the mind is constantly in contact with body sensations. Mind and matter, only at the time of death they separate. Otherwise, mind and matter, mind and matter. The whole life is mind and matter, mind and matter. So if we forget the body... If you forget the sensations on the body, we are forgetting the depth of the mind. Any, any technique, you call it Vipassana or you give any name, any technique which works with the body sensations and trains the mind not to react to body sensation 
takes you to the depth of the mind and gives the same result. You give this name or that name. So the question is how you go, how to go at the depth of the mind where one reacts to the body sensations. You have to start feeling different kinds of body sensations. Does a meditator become very passive? Passive in what way? That I am a vegetable, let anybody come and cut me, I don't care. Oh no, your prasna is not for that. If somebody is harming you or harming somebody else, that doesn't mean that you become passive, I don't care. He is doing a wrong action, he will suffer for that. Nothing doing. You have to stop this person. Otherwise you are encouraging this person and you will keep on harming others, harming others. Stop him. But first stop him by using very soft words, explaining him what you are doing. You are harming yourself also. You are harming others. This person does not understand soft language. So you have to use hard language, hard action and stop this person. But while doing so, don't generate anger, don't generate, generate compassion, ignorant person. He doesn't know. But because he does not understand soft language, so I have to take hard action. Stop him with the base of compassion. That is the proper way to do. Are you always happy? <laughs> yes, always happy. <laughs> Pashna keeps me always happy. If I forget my Vipassana, then I will start becoming unhappy. So be with Vipassana and be happy like me. <laughs> it is the Buddhist belief that humans need meditation. If it is true, then that we all have suffered to suffer meditation. Oh no, you are not suffering meditation. There is no question of Buddhist belief or what belief. This is law of nature. Every human being has to understand, not by belief, by experience. Look, unless I know what is happening deep inside, at the experiential level, I keep on harming myself, harming myself, harming others, harming others. This is misery. And if I keep on experiencing the truth, I come out of this habit, I don't harm my, myself, I don't harm others. There is nothing Buddhism in it. There is no Buddhist. Buddha never taught Buddhism one thing, a great misunderstanding started about Buddha, as if he founded a religion. He never founded a religion. He was a scientist. All his teaching, he says, Buddha or no Buddha, the law, universal law of nature is there. It remains. Buddha or no Buddha. A scientist discovers something. Whether he discovers or not, the law is there. Like Newton discovered the law of gravity. Law of gravity was there. Newton discovered, we make use of it. So Buddha as a scientist discovered how you become miserable and how you can come out of misery. He discovered the truth about it and he taught the people, explained to the people, people realized it, they accepted and they started getting benefit of it, not to make them Buddhist. Throughout the literature, about 15,000 pages of his words and about 35,000 pages of the commentary, sub-commentary, the word Buddhism is missing. In Hindi or in Sanskrit we will say or in Pali we say Bodh, the word Bodh is missing. Whatever he teaches, he calls dhamma, dharma, dharma. And those who follow, he calls dhammi, dharmi, dhammiko, dharmik. These are the words he uses. Till 500 years after Buddha, we find not only in the literature of Buddha, but other literatures in the country, the word Buddhist, Buddhist or Buddhism was not there. I don't know how it started and when it started and why it started. But his teaching has nothing to do with Buddhism or Buddhist. He teaches Dhamma, the law of nature, and makes people understand that at the experience level and live the life of Dhamma. Should I stay away from people with negative energies to protect myself? No. How, where will you run away? All around there are people generating negativity. Generate compassion. Compassion. 
and be pure yourself and keep on giving metta to these people, love and compassion, love and compassion. Don't generate negativity when you feel people generating negativity. Isn't it unrealistic to expect majority of the world population to practice Dhamma? No, no, not unrealistic. There is history, historical proof. 2,400 years ago, in my country, India, there was an emperor by the name of Ashoka, and he was a great terror. How many people he killed? How many people he wounded? Just because to fulfill his ambition, to have his empire, bigger empire, bigger empire, that madness, and suddenly he realized what I am doing. It is so harmful. And then, such a big change came in this person. He was called Chanda Ashoka, Ashoka the terror, and how he became Dhamma Ashoka, it's a emperor full of love, compassion. And for that, he left his capital, Patliputra, which is Patna today, and went about thousand miles away in Rajasthan. There was a Vipassana teacher. He learned, months together lived there and learned this technique, became perfect in the technique. Then out of love and compassion started spreading, started spreading throughout his empire. And such a big empire, today's Afghanistan to Bengal, from North India to South, such a big empire. And there are rock addictions there. If you read that, you find, he says, there is so much of peace in my country. Many emperors, many rulers before me wanted that their people should live in peace, in harmony, have love and compassion for others, have respect for elders, have love for the juniors. They, they wanted that. They were not successful. I am successful. Why? Not because I am giving these lessons of, uh, of Dhamma. Because I am making people meditate. That means such a large number of people meditated. And the whole country changed. changed. There was no riot on those days. There were so many different sects like we have today in India. No communal riot, not a single. And there was no invasion from outside. Such great of peace and harmony. So this example we are having. The same thing can happen if the people at the top, if they realize that there is a way by which we can become peaceful and we can make our people peaceful and we can help the world to become peaceful. If all sensation is a variety of vibration, how does one distinguish between wholesome and unwholesome? Vibrations are neither wholesome nor unwholesome. Your reaction to vibration, that is unwholesome. And your equanimity to the vibration, that is wholesome. Vibrations keep on coming, pleasant, unpleasant, this, this wavelength or that wavelength makes no difference. Vibration is vibration. Its, its nature is arising, passing, arising, passing, and out of ignorance one keeps on reacting. Reacting with this defilement or that defilement, that is unwholesome. You don't react, you keep your mind pure, that is wholesome. May all of you learn the technique to live a wholesome life. Wholesome life and enjoy peace, enjoy harmony, enjoy real happiness.